Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me, as always, is your other co-host, John. John, how are you doing this evening? Doing all right, dude. You know, life is busy, just uh, busy with work, busy kind of trying to get new things going, and uh, lots of exciting life things, all that kind of stuff. But uh, also, lots of changes here in Big Ten country, um, which we're going to touch on a lot of that. Uh, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to go over, a lot to, uh, um, I guess, look back on um, and look forward to. Yeah, I feel like January is always a month of change. It's like, hey, it's a new year. You're always trying to kick yourself into gear. Think, what do I want to accomplish this year? How am I going to get? How am I going to get there? All that kind of stuff. So yeah, I feel you. It's changes in the air, or maybe that's just unseasonably warm weather. Since apparently we can't get any real winter months and there's been no snow. And I'm just going to say, John, I get a little ornery when there's no snow all winter because then it's just brown and depressing. You know, I'm, I'm the same, dude. I, I can't stand it. My fiance doesn't mind it, but she's not, you know, she's she's not a cold weather person. But no, for me, if it's not cold or some level of snow on the ground for at least a decent amount of time, then it just feels weird and awful and depressing. And I no, hate it. it feels like a barren post-apocalyptic wasteland out there yeah just dark and brown and everything's dead and depressing yeah yep. snow makes everything pretty so that is my that is my rant about this unseasonably warm winter and the lack of snow that we've had i've been frustrated about it i'm with you man i mean i know that you know us both of us being from you know the great white north uh in the tundra especially growing up even further north than the twin cities mm-hmm. um that's something we were used to. Yep. Um, but it's just, it just feels weird, dude. I'm not, a fa- I'm not it's a fan. So of weird. It. It's January. Yeah. And honestly, I would still rather have there be some cold temperatures and no snow. Like that still would make me feel a little bit better. I'd rather yeah. feel that cold wind against my face, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah, but- man. It's been bizarre. But anyway, this is not a climate podcast. This is no. a college football podcast. So we will get, we will get to the college football. Um, John. Yes. Yes. We Let's have start. a new coach. We do. Or a new coach who has left, I guess. Not a new coach. A new coach. A coach who has left. Jim Harbaugh of the Michigan Wolverines is no longer Jim Harbaugh of the Michigan Wolverines of college football. He is Jim Harbaugh of the L.A. Chargers. A professional football. The NFL, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's finally happened. After how many years in a row of the the rumors? Now it's finally finally come to fruition. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh was what I wondered. You started to wonder if he was ever going to get that NFL shot again. Because after I'll be honest, after that Vikings interview, it looked like he had the Vikings job locked up. Mm-hmm. And apparently the rumor is, and now people, we're going to go into the world of rumor. So I, I cannot verify that this is in fact true. But the rumor is that he demanded to be offered the job in the room. Hmm. And they were like, we're not offering the, you the job in the room. We're going to think about it and whatever. And then, you know, the Vikings went another direction, and hired somebody else. So there were rumors that Jim Harbaugh wanted a lot of control over things that he wanted to maybe even be involved in, like how the organization's draft and some of the GM kind of job, you know, aspect of the job that he wanted some input there. So I just didn't think that any NFL team would give him that. 
And maybe he's not looking for that anymore. That was the rumor last year, right? I hadn't heard anything about that this year. So maybe he's a little more moderated what he looks he's looking for. And maybe he more is just looking to coach and let the GMs do their thing. But it is a it is a monumental move for a guy who has had a crazy career. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you look at Harbaugh. He started at, I believe, San Diego, where there were no scholarships. And then he got the Stanford job and he turned Stanford from nothing. I mean, Stanford was a doormat into a national power. You know, with Andrew Luck and he sort of I mean, I'm not going to say single handedly, but he kind of signaled the end of the Pete Carroll dynasty by beating those Pete Carroll teams a couple times towards the end. And then he went to the NFL Made it all the way to the Super Bowl, made three straight conference championship games, made it all the way to the Super Bowl with a quarterback and Colin Kaepernick that people didn't think could win at that level. But Jim Harbaugh made it happen. And then he came back to Michigan. And yeah, he struggled a little bit. And yeah, he couldn't get over the Ohio State hump for a long time. But man, when he got over the hump, there was no going back. No. No, I think he has been destined for greatness in a, for a long time. And yes, he's had some, he's hit some, uh, some speed bumps here and there. Um, but the man has proven to be an outstanding football mind, an outstanding head coach. He knows how to get results out of his players and in places and in ways that most people don't. And he, yes, the guy is out of his damn mind. He is. Oh, yeah. Ab- he was very eccentric. He is very much does it his own way and he wants to do it his way and is very controlling, you know, but, you know, what head coach really isn't. But I know he's a special kind of a little a little nuts, but I think he <clears throat> is he a little nuts or is he just neurodivergent? And we don't know because men of that generation are not are not diagnosed. Very well could be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fair. I always think of all the eccentric people like, are they really eccentric or like, are they really so weird? Or are they just a little neurodivergent? It's very, very possible. I would that wouldn't surprise me at all. The fact is, whatever it is, it works and it, it gets works. results. He's a great coach. He really is. And I don't you know, and, and I, I get why he, he rubs people the wrong way. And everyone's had, you know, a lot of people have had an issue with him, even, you know, people that uh aren't Ohio state Buckeye fans. Um, but the fact is, man, like there's something about him and the fact that he refuses to change and he just wants to be who he, who he is and he owns it. Um, I, I, I gotta, I gotta respect it, man. I gotta respect it. And obviously as we've touched on before, it definitely, um, it's also incredibly entertaining to watch just to see what he does and how he, uh, and how he portrays his message across uh, all of college football. Yeah. The the thing when he got in Carol's face and he was like, what's your deal? And then I forget who said it first, but they both said, what's your deal? Which is just kind of silly, right? <laughs> the second guy couldn't think of anything better to say. And I can't remember who was first, but he was like, what's your deal? And he's like, what's your deal? And Harbaugh, man, when he came on the scene at Stanford, he was almost kind of like a little WWE. Mm-hmm. Like he would be pounding his player, his players on their shoulder pads before games and like getting in their face and screaming at them and like just like going bananas and you still see that you still see him pounding the shoulder pads before Mm -hmm. games and stuff like that and that's the thing his teams play physical oh yeah and i look at him and the chargers and i gotta think justin herbert 
is about as close to a pro version of JJ McCarthy as there ha- as there could be among people who aren't actually JJ McCarthy who's about to be in the NFL. But he's about to be like a baby rookie. He's not going to be like the mature project pr- or uh, you know, player that he will eventually be. Yeah. Um Justin Herbert is that mature player entering his prime now. And you know, Jim Harbaugh, he likes his tall QBs who are pretty built, who have big arms, who are g- pretty good decision makers and can and can extend plays with their legs. And I feel like that's Justin Herbert. So yeah. I think Jim Harbaugh looks at Justin Herbert and sees like a JJ McCarthy type and is like, that's a guy I can I know I can win with. Yeah, I really think that he's going to he's going to do really well in L.A. I think he's in a great he's in a great division, a very competitive division. Um, I'm not admittedly, you know, big into the NFL, so I'm not going to get into a lot of details here. But I do know that like what he's done previously and what he's done before, um, he's a proven commodity already with what he was able to do. And then he only he lost to his brother in the Super Bowl and previously. And I think that as we talked about before that that is something that has been, you know, I think he wants to accomplish and I think he can, and I think he can do it in LA. Um, I don't see any reason why not. I think he's got, if he has the support that he, that he, he desires and he gets the amount of control, which who knows, maybe they're willing to, maybe they're willing to give him what everything he wants, you know, cause they, and why wouldn't they, if he can get those kinds of results, um, which I think he can. I think he's one of the greatest football minds in all of football, not just college football. I think he definitely can produce. And so I I think it's a really smart hire. And if I were a Chargers fan, I'd be absolutely pumped. Um, you know, as a college football fan, it's a little, you know, in some ways, it's a little sad to see him go just because of his personality. Um, it was all, like I said, it was always fun, always entertaining and interesting to hear his takes on things. But that's the way it is, man. You know, it's the changing of the guard in a lot of ways, as we've seen across the entire landscape. Yeah, it's uh, I think Harbaugh, I think I saw somewhere that he's only the second coach to walk away after winning a national title to immediately walk away to like another job or something, mm. which wow. um, I can't remember who the other one was. But yeah, I think we can't overstate how big a deal it is what Harbaugh managed managed to do the last three years at Michigan. Because you look at Michigan, they had not won a national title since 1997, a quarter century ago. And, you know, realistically, Michigan is a team that they recruit in the top 10 to 15 Mm-hmm. but they don't recruit at a top five or six ish level, which is what most of the national champions do. Yeah, It's much more like when Dabo Swinney won a couple titles at Clemson, but Clemson, they don't recruit quite at the same level, but Clemson is also going through the ACC, which is not nearly the gaunt, like no offense to ACC fans out there. There's some really good teams in the ACC, but week to week, the ACC is not that has not the have the depth and talent of teams that you get in the Big Ten. I mean, you can just see based on, you know, NFL draft picks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's just it's just tougher and it's just tougher in the Big Ten, just like it's just tougher even, you know, even still a little in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, so Harbaugh to win three consecutive Big Ten titles 
and then to win a national title at a place that hadn't done it, you know, since the Clinton administration. I mean, well, and that's not wild. Out, and not outright national title since like what 1948, I think yeah, is what it was. Yeah, the first, yeah, the first outright national title since the 40s, since the World War II era. So like 75 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. So Jim Harbaugh did something at Michigan that, you know, I wasn't even totally sure you could do at Michigan. Yeah. And it's kind of exciting because it does think it does show that those teams that are in that aren't quite in that top, you know, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, that even the teams below that have a shot at a title, you know, if they can have the right kind of system and the right kind of coach and that tr- and that transform and that quarterback. Right. Because mm-hmm. what Jim Harbaugh didn't have all those years at Michigan when they were really good, but not great and couldn't beat Ohio State, they didn't have great quarterback play. Yeah. And when he finally found J.J. McCarthy. Just like, you know, because remember, he inherited Andrew Luck at Stanford. He lucked into luck. And he, you know, in the NFL, you kind of get who you get. You know, you're as a coach, you're not. It's not your job to to get the players. So he got he just got Kaepernick. So McCarthy is the first quarterback that he really found and developed and, you know, himself um, and turned into a big star. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, too, with what I find so admirable um, with Jim Harbaugh as well and another thing we touched on, and I was hearing, I was listening to, uh, I can't remember who it was, but someone else who was talking about this, about how his style of play, how when everyone else and we we thought, you know, we, you and I grew up in the 90s watching Ground and Pound a lot more, uh, you know, um, more smash mouth football. But what, and, and Jim Harbaugh has brought that back, like in which has now been. I think what early two thousands, it started going towards the spread and all these new offenses and that a lot more air raid, things like that. And Jim Harbaugh really just continued to do what he was doing at Stanford. And I find that changed. Yeah. And I, I think that's admirable. I think he was just like, yeah, I see what everybody else is doing. I see what Ohio state is doing. I see what Alabama is changing into every, everyone was, was going, you know, to some varying, you know, variation of that. You know, that's not true. For one year, when he had Shea Patterson, he tried to go a little more spread concepts one year, and it oh. didn't work out. And Harbaugh went right back to power football. And yeah, we've we've talked about it on this podcast in yeah. depth. And the fact that now, at the top of the sport, we're seeing a trend back towards power football. Because this is now the third national title in a row. Um, like I said before, you know, we had Georgia, also a kind of a two tight end you know, FU power football team, they won two national titles and now Michigan. So that's Mm -hmm. three national titles in a row for power football. So we are seeing at the top of the sport and that's what we love about college football, right? The diversity. It's not just like the NFL where one style of play takes over and everyone mimics that and everyone tries to do that, right? We have the wide open spread thing and that's still the dominant force in modern football. But at the very top of the sport, we're seeing that sometimes being a power football team can pay off. And if you have the right personnel, and especially if you have the right defensive linemen and you want to play power football, you can do it and get away with it and you can win at the highest level. And it didn't hurt, you know, winning a Joe Moore, winning the Joe Moore award two years in a row either with with the O-line. Yeah. I mean, like, so he really brought back the importance of the line of scrimmage and that's what we're seeing coming back. And I think that's, that's awesome. I mean, for for those of us who who love that style of play, I, I'm you know that really excites me. So and that's what I loved about him. 
I mean, you look at the rivalry at Ohio State. Ohio State's bringing in a second elite running back, Quinshawn Judkins, to go with Travion Henderson, and they brought in a dual-threat quarterback to obviously, you know, what Ohio State's going to do is going to go more to not not to the Jim Harbaugh style to tight end, but to like a power spread, like mm-hmm. a dual-threat QB power spread rushing attack. And you better believe that Ohio State is only doing that because they haven't been able to beat Michigan. Mm-hmm. And they feel like they have to be tougher up front if they're going to beat Michigan. And so now you're seeing everyone else. It was for the longest time, the uh, 800 pound gorilla was Ohio State. Everyone was chasing Ohio State and everyone's trying to be like Ohio State. It's not that anymore in the Big Ten. Everyone's trying to be like Michigan now, including Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And that's a legacy. That's like what Nick Saban did for all of college football to a smaller extent, you know. Jim Harbaugh has now done that in the Big Ten, and I guess for all of college football because he's won this national title. So you can say he's impacted it um, nationwide. And yeah, it's it's quite a legacy. And so where there is a legacy, there's a hole. And there is now a Harbaugh-sized hole at Michigan. So, John, how do you think think that's going to shape up? Well, I, as most of the national media is talking about, and like what we talked about in the last podcast as well, is I do think I really now am pretty solid on thinking Sharon Moore is the the obvious go to. I think it's the smartest yeah. move. I think it's the safest move. Um, you're you know if you need to hold on to your you know to the majority of your roster, um, that is the only move in my opinion. And I think if they don't go that that direction, that this is going to cause a, a big problem because what it, like you just said. For so many years, it was Ohio State and everybody else. And do you know what's made things more interesting the last few years? And even before, even before Michigan got that gorilla off its back, like it was, you saw them pushing Ohio State. You saw that there was it. It became more even, and that was more fun and entertaining to watch. And it's brought so much more attention back to the Big Ten. It's really you know viewership has gone crazy. Um, so like yeah, the, the number, number you're right the numbers the viewership numbers this year were were insane they were insane Big Ten football. yeah so I think it's just been it's been good it's been good for the conference it's been good for for college football in general to have that competition and that rivalry be a real thing again and you know what I do we see um, if Sharon Moore can get there which obviously we've seen uh, an offensive coordinator um, at, at Ohio State take over from Urban Meyer a national title winning head coach um, take over and do incredibly well you know yeah he he's fallen short you know uh, facing off against Michigan the last three years but he's done he's gotten to the college football playoff multiple times he's he was he's, a missed field goal away from winning a national title let's be real Exactly. So let's, you know, so we've seen it before when a coordinator takes over and does incredibly well. And I think that this is lined up to do to be the exact same kind of thing. I think that it's necessary if Michigan wants to stay in this elite status and not, you know, have what just happened to Alabama and Washington um, go down in in Ann Arbor and lose a bunch of players. Um, They need to hold on to that. Not that they probably still wouldn't be more or less okay, but if they want to keep competing for Big Ten national or Big Ten uh, championships and getting into college football playoff, I think this just needs to happen. So I think Sharon Moore needs to be there, and I think if they want to keep Ohio State from just having it going back to being Ohio State and everybody else, that this also needs to happen. That Sharon Moore needs to stay. Yeah, and I think um, Harbaugh kind of did them a favor, probably not intentionally, 
But with the timing, he kind of did them no favor because it's kind of too late. Like they have Michigan players have the 30 days to be in the portal, but it's like too late to get into classes anywhere else now. Mm -hmm. You know, all these classes have started. They have a, there's a drop. Everyone who's been to college knows there's a drop ed deadline, right? And we're past that for the vast majority of these schools. So because of that, Michigan, you know, and because they're probably promoting Sharon more, it wouldn't surprise me if Michigan keeps most of their guys, which is important because, you know, uh, this Michigan team is projected to potentially break the record for the most NFL draft picks uh, drafted in one season come this spring. Hmm. So when we look at Michigan next year, it is going to be, even if Harbaugh were here, but now especially with Harbaugh gone, it's going to be a totally different team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not the experience kind of juggernaut we've seen the last couple of years. It, it'll be starting over the way, you you know, the way college football works when every few years your key players graduate or go pro and then you start over. So that's where Michigan is. And that'll be exciting. You know, it'll be an exciting place for Sharon Moore to be. And he's walking into a Big Ten that's never been tougher in a Big Ten with f- chock full of great coaches from top to bottom. So. You know, Sharon Moore, hopefully it's a it's a small learning curve because he's going to he's going to, you know, be be thrown into the fire real quick. Well, I think even more reason why I think it would be wise for Michigan's AD to hold on to him because they you got like I said, you got to hold on to everybody you possibly can. And I and he is very well liked by his players. And Mm -hmm. I think if you want to continue some of that dominant defensive line play with the players they have there, you're going to need to keep Sharon Moore on board. Yes, and they have a bunch of true sophomores who are coming back on the D-line, so they need to keep those guys. And yeah, in Michigan, who knows? Michigan could be a really tough team again this year. They're not going to be what they were this year. They're not no. going to be that. But they could be, uh, you know, they're in. Jim Harbaugh is leaving this program in a really good place. Absolutely. Yeah. Shall we move on to another program? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Something you and I have been talking about, and I've seen some posts here and there throughout Twitter, um, and I'm curious, you know, uh, what's taking so long. But like the fact that Iowa still doesn't have hasn't named an offensive coordinator is um, I I don't know if I should if we should be concerned. I don't know if that's how problematic is this or do are things okay in Iowa City and we're just not aware of it. I know that I have to believe multiple coaches have turned down the job. Um, from what I've heard, Paul Christ turned it down. He yes. was who I was assuming was going to take over. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not so sure. Like, does our coaches shying away from it? Is it too much of a mess to take over? Are they afraid of, you know, is there a factor of possibly, you know, Kirk Ferentz not being around too much longer? Is this like, I don't know. There's so many different variables that I'm not sure what's going on. So I'm just curious of what your thoughts are on that. I think it's a, it's interesting, right? Because in a way it's a great sell. You look at this program, the defense is functioning great. Mm -hmm. The special teams is functioning are functioning at an elite level. Like, so if you can walk in and you can make the offense, even just respectable, this team could be really even better than they've been, which has been pretty good. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so on that, I would say that's the, that's the positive side of the job. The negative side of the job is that you're walking into a situation. And if you look, if you, if you, if you look under the hood of the, this Iowa program, they have been recruiting wide receivers at a Mac level. And I'm not, that's not, 
me saying that that's asking, you know, you ask the recruiting gurus, they will say that. Um, so Iowa does not have a lot of weapons. They have good weapons at tight end. They have, you know, obviously they get Caden, getting Caden Proctor to transfer at offensive tackle is huge. Mm-hmm. And it makes you think that Iowa could be pretty good up front next year, potentially. Um, if, you know, Proctor is able to take one of those starting spots and, you know, move everybody down a peg, you know, that can make a team a little better. So maybe Iowa is going to be pretty good on the offensive line. Uh, Cade McNamara, if he comes back, he's a big upgrade. So there are things to like if you're an offensive coordinator. But you're right. How long is current Kirk Ferentz want to coach is one thing. Um, I got to think that whoever they get for an offensive coordinator is going to get like a, you know, going to get like a three year contract. I don't think we're going to see someone walk into this with like a one or two year contract. I think they're going to want that assurance that they are the guy. And also that if something changes, they're going to get paid a big buyout, you know? So, but I don't know. This job has been open now for what, over three months? Mm hmm. And even if you just even if you just count back to the end of the season, right? Even if you say through the bowl game it was Brian Ferentz, so you're not gonna you can't really look for until then. It's getting to be a while now. Well, I'm curious too. Uh, I was just thinking just now, like, do you think that this is in some way the reason it's taking a long time? That maybe they are looking for a possible future replacement for Kirk Ferentz to take over. Oh yeah, a couple years. Like, Absolutely. is that why they're being so particular? I don't know. Just a theory. No, that's an interesting thought, especially if it doesn't appear that Phil Parker ever wants to be a head coach. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because otherwise it would make you you'd think it would just be known in Iowa City that it would be him when it was over. But it doesn't seem like that's what he wants. He's it seems like he wants to be an assistant coach. So if that's the case, yeah, bringing in an offensive and that. But that's the thing. Also, if you're taking this job, that's what you're betting on yourself. You're saying, hey, I'm going to come in. For one or two or three or five years, I'm going to put out a really good offensive product. And then when Kirk Ferentz rides off into the sunset, it's going to be me. Yeah. So if you're an offensive coordinator, that's got to be appealing. Because if you if you come in and you crush it, you're going to be the heir apparent. Because Iowa does not like football coach searches. They haven't had to really do it. They had Hayden Fry, and then they promoted from within with Kirk Ferentz. I... I I just get the impression that Iowa has no desire to do a big national football coach search. I feel the same way. And that's kind of why I'm, I just thought about that now, just like thinking, huh, I wonder if like the reason it might be taking long is because they're looking for a potential candidate for a future yeah. replacement down the line. So, which yeah, no, I think that's a really good point on your part. Yeah. But it's still, you know, if I were an Iowa fan, I guess, I, I don't know. I'd be a little concerned at this point, this late in the game. Um, it does make me a little nervous, uh, of what's going on over there. Um, I'm sure they have it all taken care of. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to share, you know, shake things up or, or disparage like the, the AD or what's going on over in their athletics program. But I just, to me as a fan, I'd be like, I would just be wondering what the hell's going on. You know, it's just a little strange, a little odd. I'm an Iowa fan. I'm stressed about it. Yeah. But at the same time, it'll probably be fine. Yeah. You know, if we're sitting here in a month and they Iowa still doesn't have a coordinator, then we're in a big trouble. Right. But I think as long as Ferentz hires somebody in the next, I don't know, like the next week ish, um, because guys are in a winter workouts now. They're studying, you know, they got to be studying their playbooks and whatnot. So 
Um, if you're going to hire a coordinator, it's, it's the time to do it. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, should we get on for the, uh, the fun part of this podcast? Not that it hasn't already been fun, but. Oh, I mean, I think all parts of the podcast are fun, John, but I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) We're going to do our 2023, 24 big 10 conference coaching grades. Hell yeah. All right. Yes, it is exciting. This is the first time we've done this. This is, oh, by the way, John, this is our 31st episode. Holy cow. I know. Time flies, right? Time really does. Yeah. But this is our first uh, football coach, our first off season doing the podcast. So this is our first football coach uh, grade episode. And we're going to be coming up with like, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, and, and I just want to let people know that we're definitely going to be coming up with a few, uh, you know, we're always going to be talking college football and Big Ten uh, in the Big Ten, but we, we're we going to throw in um, from time to time just some kind of fun, silly things that people like to do and people like to hear about um, just because it's it's fun for us and, you know, we would, and it hopefully starts a conversation for other people and by all means, feel free to roast us and, uh, you know, tell us your thoughts, what you agree with, what you disagree with, uh, whatever it is, man, where this is just all for fun for us and just create that discussion amongst the community. Absolutely. So, yeah, if you think our grade is wrong and you want to tell us to F off, please do it. But give us a five star review while you're at it. because That's That'll help right. other people find the podcast. But give a five star review and say then say you guys suck. And we will be, uh, you know, and we'll read your comments on the air. We will. Absolutely. If you comment, if you comment to us on Twitter or you come at us on Spotify or whatever, um, we will happily read the comments and we have in the past. So. Um, So, yeah, John, should we get this going? Let's do it. All right. First team I have on the list. So I kind of went East Division, then West and just in that order, just because that's how I just kind of did it. So I've got the Indiana Hoosiers head coach, Tom Allen. They went three and nine overall, one and eight in the Big Ten. Uh, John, they started off with a really strong defensive performance against Ohio State in a 23 to three loss. The defense held the prolific Ohio State offense to 380 yards, despite getting zero help from the offense. So that game left IU fans optimistic. The defense had improved significantly, but the question marks about the offense remained. Then they rolled a really bad Indiana State team, 41 to 7. Both Soresby and Taven Jackson continued to split snaps, which became which eventually in the season became a problem with this offense. Uh, Tom Allen really needed to pick one QB, and he had a hard time doing so. Louisville was a pivotal game in the season. This is a game they only lost 21-14. And if I recall correctly, IU had a chance to win uh, or to tie or win late in the fourth quarter and got stopped on the goal line. Tom Allen called a slow developing power run play on fourth down when a QB sneak or quick hitter was the way to score. It was a mystifying call at the time, and it became emblematic of a season of missed opportunities for the Hoosiers. It's especially frustrating as big, strong Taven Jackson nearly got in on third down. So why not just sneak him in? Um, That loss dropped IU to one and two. It then took four overtimes for them to beat a Mac team in Akron. And about now, that's when I really started to worry about the Hoosiers. Um, after that, an ugly stretch went on. They got crushed by Maryland 44-17, Michigan 52-7, and Rutgers 31-14. Uh, aside from a few good moments against Maryland and Rutgers, it was a really rough stretch. Uh, then they showed up and played amazingly well in a tough 33-24 loss to Penn State. 
IU really had a shot in this game, but couldn't capitalize in key moments despite some really explosive pass plays for touchdowns early in the game. And then they played pretty well against Wisconsin, but once again, couldn't close in a 2014 loss. And then despite a total lack of defense, they took Illinois to 2 and lost a heart OT, excuse me, and lost a heartbreaker 48, 45, um, played pretty well against Sparty, but again, lost 24, 21. IU was on the wrong side of every close game. And then some games they weren't competitive at all. And then the thing that I think guaranteed Tom Allen's firing was losing to Purdue. IU had struggled against their in-state rivals quite a bit, but in year one of a rebuild in West Lafayette, IU had to beat Purdue. They did not. That was the end of a brutal year for IU, and Tom Allen was fired. So, John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, if I got to give... I mean, I put a grade... I graded all mine, you know, A, B, C, D, F, you know, and like you would in, you know, in, when you're in high school or whatever. Um, so what I with Tom Allen, man, I mean, it's it was so frustrating because just like you said, there were so many different times throughout the season where you saw some flashes and you thought and you saw that that um, the potential was there. And they had some weapons. They absolutely could have pulled out some of these wins and just the, you know, it just didn't bounce in their, their way. The ball just didn't bounce their way. And it it was unfortunate or the calls, all this kind of stuff. And, um, I was never bounces your way. It's coaching at a certain point. Yes, exactly. And there were some, uh, and there were also some games where the calls definitely were, were not going in their direction and they, and they should have been, but, um, but yeah, man, it definitely, it was down to coaching and, and it, we've all seen it kind of come in here the last couple of years. Um, like I said, it was, it's, it was tough cause you saw lots of signs of hope and potential there. Um, but I got to give Tom Allen a solid D for, you know, as a grade, I, it, he underperformed. Like I said, there was, you could see some push. You saw some you know, moments where the team looked like they were believing in, in it and they, they were going to, you know, pull it out and um, had the drive, I guess, to, to, to break through, but just couldn't make it happen, man. Um, and too many of those seasons in a row. And unfortunately, you know, that cost Tom Allen his job. And, uh, but I do think that they've made a solid hire and uh, Signetti has been able to hold on to a lot of those players that uh, were showing those flashes throughout the season. So uh, hopefully things will be on the up and up for the Hoosiers. Yeah, my grade is an F, period, because I don't care how many flashes you showed. They went one and eight in the Big Ten. One and eight with a team that was was better than that. I think we can it's fair to say it was was good enough to win games in the Big Ten. Yes. Um, IU had some really nice players. You know, the Donovan McCulley's and the Cam Campers, and they had, you know, they had guys who could make plays. I thought when Soresby got in a rhythm, he was okay. Um, Their offensive line got a lot better as the year went on. Their defense was kind of up and down all year, but when it was good, it was pretty good. Um, But they just lack consistency all facets to play offense, defense, special teams. So I've given them an F. I will say IU cleaned house. They fired Tom Allen and his staff. New coach, Kurt Signetti, like you said, came came over from James Madison. And I think he made a really smart move in retaining legendary offensive line coach Bob Bosted. Yeah. I think that's a really smart move. And I like this staff that Signetti is putting together. And I think I always think I kind of judge coaches on two things, like the coaches they hire and bring in from outside and 
did they decide to keep, did they, did they spot? Cause usually there's one great coach on staff and a smart coach will keep that coach. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think Signetti immediately spotted the great coach on staff in Bostead and was like, no, 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 everyone else can leave you, sir. You, sir, should stay. And yep. that's a good coach. So yep. I think there's a lot of hope for Indiana going forward, but uh, that season was absolutely an F. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's one for you. The last IU coach to leave Indiana with a winning record was Bo McMillan, who left for the Detroit Lions in 1947. So since then, IU has really struggled for a long time. So I think Signetti can win. I hope that uh, Indiana gives him the time to build up a program um, and and see, you know, what he can do. Because I think, you know, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to take a while, but I think they'll immediately be more competitive next year than they've been over yeah. the last several years. I agree. Awesome. All right, moving on. We've got the Michigan State Spartans. Uh, head coaches, Mel Tucker and Harlan Barnett. Uh, Sparty went four and eight, two and seven in the Big Ten. Um, Sparty started out the year strong with Central Michigan wins 31-7 and Richmond 45-14. Then they ran into a buzzsaw with Michael Penix and national title runner-up Washington in a 41-7 loss that wasn't even as close as that score indicates. Um, they got crushed by Maryland 31-9. They lose a frustrating game to Iowa 26-16 and a heartbreaker to Rutgers 27-24. Got boat raced by Michigan 49-0, which is a tough-looking rivalry game. Uh, But in their defense, Michigan crushed just about everybody all year. They got run off the field by a four-string running back uh, by Minnesota in a 27-12 loss. So that was got to be a low point, too. And they finally broke through and beat Nebraska 2017, a game that kept Nebraska from going bowling. Um, got crushed by Ohio State 38 to three, beat IU in a close game 24 21, and then got run off the field by Penn State 42 to zero. Coach Mel Tucker was fired midseason for sexual misconduct towards Brenda Tracy, a sexual assault survivor and speaker, which is still, I we don't have enough time in any podcast to go in the amount of ridiculous Mel Tucker is, but we'll suffice it to say that he got fired for his misconduct. And so that pretty much guaranteed a bad year. Uh, but John, what are your thoughts on the coaching performance by Mel Tucker and then interim Harlan Barnett? Well, I, it's a solid F. Um, <laughs> it, it was, it was such a mess all yeah. season long, dude. I, I just like, I couldn't believe my eyes. Like, and you could just see it, man. Like the, the quality of play was everything was chaotic. Mm-hmm. On and off the like, what was going on off the field was reflecting the play on on the field. It was just nuts, man, and it was so. It was interesting in in certain ways too to kind of watch this team, you know, like just show some, you know, like one drive they look like they're finally coming together, and then the very next it's just like couple the the rug is just pulled out from under them, and they just totally collapse. And so, you know. I feel for the players is yeah. is what I'll say. I feel really bad for the players. They didn't deserve this. Um, you know, I do. There was definitely talent on that team. Uh, it just, unfortunately, everything that was going on off the field was just too much of a mess and too much of a distraction. And they were just never able to put it together. And 
and there were higher expectations for this team going into the into the season. I don't know yes. if they were expected to, you know, win like eight or nine or ten games, but I, I think I I think I had them at least at seven wins and um, putting up more of a fight. But it just it was just chaos, man. It was an absolute disaster, and Mel Tucker created all of it. And uh, I, as we're seeing, and it's been you know ever since that nine million dollar contract was written up. Um, we're finding out that it sure didn't pay off. So no, no, it did not. Um, yeah, my grade is an F. I mean, I just, uh, to get fired like that and leave your team in the lurch. And then I'm sure Harlan Barnett did the best he could, but by that point there's already a team that was turned the ball over and made lots of mistakes and there was just no getting them out of that cycle. So yeah, that's an F. But Jonathan Smith looks like a really good hire from Oregon State. Um, he's brought in a really competitive staff, I think. Managed to poach Minnesota defensive coordinator Joe Rossi while doing so. So he showed that, you know, Sparty has come to play a little bit. Um, I like his staff he's putting together. I think he's going to I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he does at Michigan State because it seems like it could be a home run. But man, there are so many good coaches in the Big Ten. There are going to be good coaches who fail. That's the thing we're going to see. It used to be if a coach failed, you pretty, you know, it pretty much you knew he wasn't that great um, because of it. But I think we're going to see very good coaches get fired in the new Big Ten. Yep, I totally agree. I think that's just the way it is now with all the the, the higher competition and. Uh, yeah, it's gonna like like we said before in a previous podcast. You know, going six and six might be an amazing year for some teams moving yep. forward. Seriously, which is depressing, but here we are. Yep. NFL light. Woo. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. We have Rutgers. The Scarlet Knights went uh, seven and six, three and six in the Big Ten under head coach Greg Schiano. Uh, the first game of the year, we saw the upside of Rutgers, John. They had a high-stakes conference game to start the year, and they beat Northwestern 24-7. to That was a monster win. It established two things. Rutgers had a really good defense, and Rutgers was going to pound the ball on offense, um, whether it worked or not. And uh, they beat Temple 36-7, Vatek 35-16, uh, which was a big win for Rutgers to get to 3-0. and they get crushed by Michigan 31 to 7 before beating a bad Wagner team 52 to 3. Lose to Wisconsin 24-13 but bounce back with a 27-24 win over Sparty. Then they beat IU 31-14 to get to 6 wins. After that it got hard. They lost to Ohio State 35-16, Iowa 22 to 0 and I'm not even sure what happened in that Iowa game. That was just brutal. Penn State 27 to 6 and Maryland 42-24. Um, that said, after fading late in the year, they rallied and won the bowl game 31-24. So, John, what are your thoughts on uh, on Rutgers and Greg Schiano's coaching job this year? You know, I, I really wanted to give Greg Schiano a, like a solid A because of just the fact of what he's been able to do at a program like Rutgers um, from being a total bottom dweller to like now rising up throughout the last few years. And I just love the guy, you know, and this may be a totally, totally biased opinion because I just really like him. And Mm -hmm. um, but I I, I'm still going to stay really high here, but it's going to go to an A minus because of just the quarterback play. The fact that that was what continued to to kill them and take them out of games 
or yep. the interceptions on crucial plays, crucial downs. And it just, ah, uh, it was so heartbreaking, so frustrating to watch. But on the other hand, that defense was amazing. So much fun to watch. Oh, yeah. And Kyle Manungai, dude, like what else do you got to say? He was amazing. He was incredible. So things are moving very much so in the right direction at uh, at Rutgers. And so I'm really looking forward to that moving forward. I think it just has shown um, a large leap in improvement there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just going to get better. And that's why I have him graded so high. Yeah, that's legit. I gave Shianu a B. And I think it's a solid year, but the second half of the year fade prevented me from grading this any higher. I think one more win could have bumped me up this up to a B plus a minus for me. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was a really triumphant season. They did. They played really well. They accomplished a lot, but they finished six and six. So Mm. I can't give them an A for that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Awesome. But I mean, I think it was a really good step in the right direction. Kyle Manungai comes back next year. Um, we'll see. I mean, the real question is the quarterback play at Rutgers, right? Like so many places around the conference quarterback play is going to define a lot. And at Rutgers is Ethan Kaliak Manis an upgrade from Wimsat or will Wimsat improve enough that he can keep his job because Wimsat's definitely the better runner. So Mm -hmm. if he can, if the throwing is equal, you think Wimsat wins the job. Um, that's where Kaliak Manis was slightly better than Wimsat, but not a lot. So it's going to be a really interesting QB competition to track going into spring. No doubt. And I kind of feel like the loser of that is going to transfer again. Now that they have unlimited transfer rules, I think that whoever wins the job out of spring, the loser is going to say later and and drop down a level, you know, go group of five FCS, something like that. Yeah. Agreed. So it's a big battle. It'll be, it'll be a a good one to track, but uh, yeah. So Congrats to Rutgers, and they won the bowl game, which I always think is an impressive thing to do. So good for them for ending the year on a good note. All right, next up, we've got the Maryland Terrapins and head coach Mike Loxley. The Terrapins went 8-5, and 4-5 and five in the Big Ten. Uh, started with easy wins over Tosin and a come-from-behind eventually easy win over Charlotte, but one in which Leah threw some questionable balls and Maryland got out to a terrible start. Then Maryland crushes Virginia 42-14. You feel the momentum building up. Next two games are wins. Maryland's feeling great, crushing Sparty 31-9 and Indiana 44-17. Sparty game featured a lot of turnovers, so it could have been closer, but it wasn't. And Maryland's feeling really good about now. Uh, Then they put up a good fight for one half before succumbing to the Ohio State Buckeyes 37-17. Lost to Illinois 27-24 in a heartbreaker and Northwestern 33-27. So those were two really tough losses in a row before getting absolutely shellacked by Penn State 51-15. So this is the low moment when you're wondering if Maryland will win another game as things have been moving south so quickly. But then they slugged out a 13-10 victory over Nebraska, pushed Michigan harder than just about anybody else in a 31-24 loss uh, before beating Rutgers 42-14 in a really strong finish to the year. And you got to give them credit for winning the bowl game 31-13 over Auburn. So, John, what are your thoughts on Mike Loxley and the Terrapins. I, this is another one, man. Like Lox just, I like the guy. I like what he's doing there at Maryland. I think he's got it moving in the right direction. Um, you know, it helped having a quarterback as talented as Talia. 
Um, oh yeah. Back there. So like, but I do think that he's doing some great things. Their defense is looking better Their Uh, the main issue I had all season long was their offensive line play. Um, you know, what are they going to do with a quarterback that is, isn't as mobile as Talia back there? And, and you're going to need uh, some better protection, but as per usual, um, you know, what I saw with Maryland was that they looked amazing at times. And then it looked terrible. There was just a lot of inconsistency. And that's just always been what's what's gone on there. But what we did see this year is we saw Maryland start a game down, even by two scores on a couple occasions, and find a way to come back. And win. Yes. So there, I got to give Locks credit for that. I'm giving Mike Loxley a B plus. All right. My grade for Maryland is also a B plus. I uh, and we did not talk about this beforehand, so I'm finding out in real time wh- when we have the similar grades or not. Um, the Terrapins exceeded my expectations for them this year. They only finished seven and five, but it was a really hard schedule, and they played some of the elite teams really tough at times. Yep. So I have to give Loxley credit for that in my final grade, and I think it was you know it was about as solid as you can be at eight and five. We're at seven and five and then getting to eight and five with the bull win. So, so yeah, good for Maryland. They needed to capitalize on Leah's senior year and have a good year. And they did. And -hmm. I think that's going to carry them forward, you know, into recruiting the next Leah. Yeah. Well, and they're recruiting very well. Yeah. I mean, Maryland always does, man. What do we say? Maryland's always got speed. They always got speed and talent. It's Mm -hmm. a matter of, can they be consistent and are they good enough on the line of scrimmage? Right. Yep. Yeah, well, I think it's it seems to be moving in that direction. Hopefully it keeps going there. Yeah, no, I think so. I think I'm excited to see. It'll be fascinating to see Loxley build an offense for an, for a quarterback who's not Leah, right? Yep. Like to build an offense about. And we saw that a little bit in the bowl game. Mm-hmm. We saw him build an offense around somebody else's strengths and weaknesses. So I'm excited to see, you know, who the next Maryland quarterback is and how uh, Loxley makes up for that guy's strengths and weaknesses and how he designs his offense. Yep. All right. Next up, we have the Penn state Nittany lions and head coach, James Franklin. They went 10 and three, seven and two in the big 10, uh, Penn state rolled over the easy out of conference teams in their schedule in Delaware and UMass. And while it wasn't always pretty, they thoroughly crushed West Virginia, 38, 15, uh, really Penn state looked great all year, except against, Michigan and Ohio State. They beat Illinois 30-13, a game that never felt that close. They crushed Iowa 31-0 in a game where Iowa had almost no first downs, just a dominant performance. Then they beat Northwestern 41-13 before losing to Ohio State 20-12. Against the Buckeyes, the Penn State offense was really held in check, and they struggled to generate explosive plays, which was the one knock on their offense all season, really. Uh, They looked a little hungover the next week, but still beat Indiana 33-24 and then went on to crush Maryland 51-15. Against Michigan, they lose 24-15, and once again, the offense is held in check in a big game. Then they beat Rutgers and Sparty badly, but do a total no-show in the bowl game, lost to Ole Miss 38-25, which really left a bad taste in my mouth. I don't know about you. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on this season? (sighs) To me, I feel like we're... it's No offense, uh, Penn State fans here, but like I feel like this is almost Groundhog Day. I feel like it, right. 
not to knock. Like James Franklin is a great coach. He's clearly, I mean, 10 wins consistently is huge. That's a big deal. I'm not, you know, it's a, it's a very hard division. It is a very, it's probably the hardest division in college football to play in. Uh, they were, you know, unable to win 10 games and continue to, to do that year in and year out. Um, but you gotta win at least one of those Ohio state or Michigan matchups by this time, you know, but, and I think, and also to, to win that bowl game, I just, James Franklin, you see these, these flashes of greatness and you see these potential in these recruits and it's like everything just, it's always just almost there. And, and it just can't quite cross the finish line. And it's frustrating. And I know Nittany Lions fans are, are frustrated by it um, because the expectation is college football playoff. That is what they're yep. expecting. And they're expecting to at least beat Ohio State or Michigan once every couple years or something, at least. But it just is not happening. He's not able to cross that threshold. So I got to give him a B minus, man. I, I think that, you know, maybe Ooh. that's been a little too high. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not trying to not like he, I'm giving him, I want to give him credit for the wins. Cause like he's, he's still making that happen. And, I, and everything I just said, maybe this is kind con- contradicting everything I just said, but I feel like as far as expectations from the fan base and from everyone else out here, because I thought at the beginning of the season that, that Penn state could be a college football playoff contender. And as you saw as the season went on, yeah, great team, awesome, fantastic players, but you just knew they weren't gonna get to that point. They're just mm-hmm. there, there's a ceiling, and I'm just I'm a, I'm wondering if Franklin has hit it. You said James Franklin is a great coach. Here's what I'll say: James Franklin is a great recruiter. He's great at developing talent. He's great at a lot of things at, at building a program. He is not great at making in-game decisions. He's not. Yeah. And we've seen that for years and years. And in fact, during the bowl game, I got a text from uh, my buddy James and he said he, he runs a bowl pool every year. And he said, I, I can't believe it, man. You watch more big 10 football than almost anybody I know. And I was like, you can't believe what? And I go, and he goes, I can't believe you picked James Franklin to win a big game. Boom. And you know what? He was right. And Penn State didn't show up for the bowl game, just like they struggle in big games frequently. Here's the thing, John. There are three teams in the Big Ten who recruit at a top 10-ish level or better. There's Ohio State, who recruits at like a top two or three level every year. And then there's Michigan and Penn State. And I'm not counting the new schools now, right? Yeah. And there's Michigan, and but what there has been. And then there's Michigan and Penn State who both recruit at a top 10-ish level. So Penn State isn't, rec- or Michigan's not recruiting any better than Penn State is, but they're getting better results on the field. Mm-hmm. And once again, James Franklin does those things too often, you know, when it's fourth and short or something and he needs to go for it and he gets conservative and tries to hand the ball off to like a running back on fourth and three. And it's like, dude, you got to throw the ball. Sometimes you got to roll the dice a little bit. And he just almost can't will himself to do it. And we've seen over and over and over, over the years. That's the thing. James Franklin's been there a long time. He's the second most tenured coach in the big 10. 
So this is not a small sample size. James Franklin is very good at a lot of things in coaching, but he is not good at sealing the deal in big games. Yeah, and that's you know that's, that's kind of why. why. I B. That's why B. Even even yeah. at ten and three, as good as that is, yep. I couldn't do. I couldn't go better than B. That's why I had to do the B minus, man. I just I feel like the expectation is a lot higher than what he's achieving, and I'm not trying to knock. T- I would I would kill. You know, as a Gopher fan, I would kill for for this problem. But yeah, as a Penn State fan, I feel like he's falling short. Yeah, and has been, you know, he broke through in what was it 2016 and won the Big 10. And mm-hmm. since then, he's really struggled against Michigan and Ohio State kind of yeah. kind of consistently. Yep. All right. Well, that's moving on. That brings us to Ohio State and head coach Ryan Day. Uh the Buckeyes went 11 and 2, 8 and 1 in the Big 10. Buckeyes were really impressive for most of the year. They laid waste to IU and their out-of-conference competition, Youngstown State and Western Kentucky. They then went into a hostile environment at Notre Dame and managed to pull out a thrilling victory on a fourth down, go-ahead touchdown as time expired. Whew! Big win. This was the first time we saw any flaws in the armor. And that's when people started chirping that maybe Kyle McCord wasn't as good as C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields. They then slept through a half against Maryland before crushing them 37-17. Uh, Purdue 41-7. And in the Penn State game, they win 20-12, but the Penn State D really locks down the Ohio State attack for large portions of the game. Marvin Harrison is great, but the offense was not consistent enough, and the Buckeyes had a lot of injuries at RB by this point in the season. Uh, Ohio State plays okay in beating Wisconsin 24-10, but nothing overwhelming. Once again, inconsistency plagues them a bit. Rutgers 35-16 in a really nice performance, and then they didn't break a sweat in a 28-3 win over Sparty or a 37-3 win over Minnesota. So you're feeling really good at 11-0. You just have to beat Michigan and Ann Arbor, but they couldn't do it. They lose 30-24. Michigan once again wins the battle in the trenches, and Kyle McCord plays pretty well, but not quite well enough to overcome it as he has a late-game pick in the waning seconds when they were driving to try to win the game. Uh, this pick and the game that precedes it come to define Ohio State's season. Then Ohio State totally no-shows offensively in the bowl game, losing 14-3. to Yes, they lost McCord in the transfer portal and Marvin Harrison opted out, but it's shocking the Buckeyes played so poorly on offense and that show changes needed to be made. Um, and to his credit, Ryan Day has shaken up his staff since then, but yeah. So, John, what are your thoughts on Ryan Day's coaching job this year? Well... Again, you know, impressive 11 win season. That's amazing. But the expectation as a Buckeye fan is college football playoff or bust and national title really or bust. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. And there were some serious issues um, along the way. I honestly don't think Kyle McCord deserves as much. Uh, criticism as he's gotten. Um, no, I do think that the coaches probably failed him in a lot of in a lot of ways. And what was obviously incredibly disappointing in this most, you know, we've, we we touched on this uh, in previous episodes. What was the scariest part is is that bowl game and yes. the the fact that those practices were not utilized. I that scares that makes me nervous when it comes down to Ryan Day and. Um, so for yeah. people who missed the previous episode, there are reports that Brian Day did not use all his bowl practices and that he had pretty light walkthroughs and kind of didn't take the bowl prep super seriously and mm-hmm. more focused on getting guys healthy. 
Yeah, and you know, and I just don't ever. I hate hearing the whole thing when you hear SEC teams and SEC fans, whatever, talk about how like, oh, they just they didn't even want to be there. Like, it wasn't a big deal. It's a stupid bowl game. It's meaningless. Da 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 da. No, man. No, it's bullshit. They count. No, bowl games count. They count absolutely. So Ryan Day should have taken it more seriously than he did. Now, with that criticism, I'm still giving Ryan Day an A minus because of what he's accomplished and the fact that I know he's a great coach and we've seen it. And we've seen him do what he can do. Um, and I think, obviously, what, with the changes we've seen happening here this offseason, I think he will get back to to where he's been um, or better. Uh, but as far, I had to knock off just a little bit um, because, you know, just a little disappointed, I think, in, in him on just his, his uh, managing um, throughout the season. I gave him a B minus. Wow. It's Ohio State. You're expected to compete for national titles every year. You're held to a different standard than everybody else. And you recruit better than everyone else. That's the thing. Ohio State recruits significantly better than everybody else in the conference. So that's why Ryan Day gets a B minus despite going 11 and 2. And the fact that they, and yes, is the fact that they didn't show up at all in the bowl game or take it seriously on offense at all. Is that weighing? Am I, am I letting that weigh in my estimation a lot? Yeah, it is because you are still should have been better than Missouri. Mizzou's very good this year. Mizzou's a very good team. You're Ohio state. You should have still been able to come out and, and at least make it a game and not mm-hmm. just get rolled against a Missouri like that and show be totally inept on offense, just totally inept on offense in a way that showed you they just didn't really take it seriously. It didn't feel like yeah. um, I would not ever give any other team in the Big Ten a B minus for an 11 and two season. I wouldn't. But I just think it's that disappointing that lost to Missouri, along with the fact that you've put everything now into beating Michigan in the last three years and you haven't been able to do it. So Ohio State, maybe I'm harsh. And if Ohio State fans want to come for me, they can. But it's because of the way you recruit and the way you win is why I'm giving you. So it's a compliment to your program that I'm giving your coach such a low grade. I think think that's a fair assessment. I I really do. Right on. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving on to the beast of the East, Michigan. Head coach Jim Harbaugh. And the Wolverines went 15 and 0, 9 and 0 in the Big Ten. 15 and 0, 9 and 0 in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan quite simply laid waste to almost every opponent all season. They played in approximately three close games, and even in those, they did more than enough to win. Ohio State and Alabama were the only games in which they had any shot to lose, but their defense and offense made enough plays to prevail. Michigan broke scoreboards and wills across the conference. Nebraska 45-7, Minnesota 52-10, IU 52-7, Sparty 49-0. You get the idea. John, your thoughts on this Michigan coaching job by Jim Harbaugh? I mean, I'll just flat, I'll just come out and say it right away. That's an A+. I mean, what else is it? It was utter dominance from beginning to end, mm-hmm. and you won the national championship. Like, what? what more do I need to say? that it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, Harbaugh won a national title at Michigan for the first time in a quarter century. As we said, he definitely gets an A plus from me. There's no other grade to give 
when you go 15 and 0 and win a national title. I thought about just giving him an A because of the sign stealing thing, but I can't justify it because they went undefeated. Yep. And because even after they were that was exposed, they continued to crush teams and play really well. So I can't say, you know, you can't say that they won because of the sign stealing. Um, so I have to give him an A plus and Jim Harbaugh did it, man. He did it. He believed in himself and he's riding off into the sunset as arguably the greatest coach in Michigan history. Yep. Definitely the modern era. And I think he's definitely surpassed his mentor, Bob Schembechler, which is Absolutely. kind of amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Lloyd Carr, I would say even at this point. Mm hmm. Because Lloyd Carr had a problem with Ohio State, and Harbaugh has conquered his problem with Ohio State. Yep. All right. Moving on to the West, we've got Purdue head coach Ryan Walters. They went four and eight, three and six. Purdue fell victim to a tough out of conference schedule. If they had scheduled easier, they might have made a bowl game. But as it was, they lost to Fresno State in a sloppy 39 35 game and to Syracuse 35 20. Purdue managed three Big Ten wins in Illinois, Minnesota, and Indiana. They got blown out by Wisconsin, Nebraska, Michigan, and OSU, but lost a heartbreaker to Northwestern 23-15, which hurt a lot. John, your thoughts on the year for Purdue coach Ryan Walters? You know, as a first-year head coach, I think it kind of met my expectations. Um I'm not going to be too harsh on Ryan Walters. I think there you saw some interesting things happen as the year went on. Um, there was definitely some games that you know they shouldn't have lost, uh, but I got to give him a solid C. You know, I know it, he they didn't go bowling, but as a first year head coach, um, I think you can see some good things for their future um, if they can continue to keep recruiting decently. I think that they'll be able to put together a good team, and you know be be scrappy you know i i'm it's still too early to tell how good ryan walters is really going to be yeah but as far as just a first year head coach i think he was he was fine yeah i give them credit they got better as the year went on and -hmm. that's what you want to see in year one of a rebuild so i gave ryan walters a c plus okay i think he gets credit for winning three big 10 games in his first year purdue is a really tough job it's a really tough place to win. So to come into the conference, win a third of your conference games, I think was a really strong start for him and was certainly better than I expected going into the season. Yeah, I I can totally get behind that. Right on. All right, let's move it right along to Illinois. Head coach Brett Bielema. The Illini went five and seven, three and six in the Big Ten. Uh, Illinois survived a tough one against Toledo to start the year 30-28 before dropping one to Kansas 34-23. They played Penn State close for a half before getting walloped 30-13. They struggled to beat FAU 23-17 in a scary game for Illini fans. They get crushed by Purdue in a weird game. Then they lose to Nebraska. Um, They win on a close one against Maryland before falling to Wisconsin in a heartbreaker. Then they turn around and flat out steal one from Minnesota 27-26 in a game that was highway robbery the way Illinois took it late behind a bonkers TD drive from then back up John Paddock, who was so good he became the starter after that game. Uh, Side note, I wonder how much better Illinois does if John Paddock starts the whole season. Yeah. 
He was certainly better than Luke Altmaier, and I ding Bielema quite a bit for playing the wrong guy most of the year. Yep. Um, then they beat Indiana. They lose to Iowa, lose to Northwestern to miss a bowl game. So it hurts to miss a bowl in a loss against your rival, which is what happened against Northwestern. So it was uh, it was a rough end of the year. Uh, John, what are your thoughts? What kind of grade are you going to give Brett Bielema? Well, I expected a lot from this team. I I was I, there was a lot of hype surrounding them yep. of, of winning the West Division, um, and I was kind of buying into it. I don't I didn't pick them to win the West, but I had them winning at least eight games, if not nine, and you know being in contention uh, all the way till the end. And that just did not happen. Um, like it was, it it started to fall apart early. Um, I saw some, you know, you saw some like athleticism that was really impressive from Luke Altmaier. You were like, oh man, this guy can run all over the field. Mm-hmm. He, looked, he looked like he could have been a lot better than what he was. Um, but he, that offensive line just was terrible. And they maybe really Luke Altmaier could have been better if he yeah. had some freaking protection. But he didn't. Um, and that was it was horrible to watch. Um, so, you know, and then, yeah. And then also, like you just said, you know, having having Paddock back there instead of Altmaier, um, maybe he would have made, you know, Paddock would have made some better decisions um, under that kind of pressure. Uh, and, you know, because Luke, I think, knew he had the ability to run and he just he relied on his legs too much maybe or he made those choices to to scramble too quickly instead of trying to sit there just a little bit longer but again like i said easy for me to say i'm not the one where my offensive line isn't blocking for me and i'm getting you know walloped every every other play so for me what i'm looking at with brett bielema is uh i gotta give him a c minus um he's a better coach than this so I'm I'm still keeping it like I could I was thinking about a D plus, but I know he's a better coach than this. So I'm going to still give him a C minus, but it was below average. You definitely he definitely needs to step it up next year. Illinois was supposed to have the best defensive line in the conference. And that did not materialize at all. And that offensive line was the worst Brett Bielema coached offensive line I've ever seen in my life, which is nuts. That Which is nuts. He's Mr. Yeah. Offensive Line guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I gave Bielema a D. D as in dog. D. Uh, I thought Illinois, I didn't buy the hype that they were going to win the conference. I didn't like their their skill players enough for that. But I thought they were a team that would be a tough out. I thought they would win eight games. Um, and they didn't even make a bowl game. So they fell well short of what I expected. And uh, so Brett Bielema gets a D. Okay. All right, moving on. We've got Nebraska and head coach Matt Rule. Nebraska went five and seven, three and six in the Big Ten. Had a heartbreaking loss on the road to Minnesota, 13 to 10 to start the year on a bad foot. On the wrong foot, I should say. Then they got crushed by Colorado. They could have packed it in there, but Nebraska managed to get better and out-of-conference wins against NIU and Louisiana Tech before getting crushed by Michigan badly. Uh, They get momentum going and beat Illinois, Northwestern, and Purdue. Things are starting to feel good in Lincoln, but then they lose to Sparty in in a game they had no business losing and absolutely should not have lost. They lost to Maryland. They lost to Iowa, all in one-score games to just miss a bowl game. So fading down the stretch like that and missing a bowl is just brutal for a fan base 
and stunts growth going into next season. So that really hurt, I thought. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on this season for on the inaugural season for Matt Rule with the Huskers? Well, I want to say it's like Groundhog Day because it's all those one-score losses. And <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> I'm sorry, Husker fans. But, like, look, it wasn't three and nine. Um, no. And I got to say, defensively, there's real potential there. Like that defense was legit at times. It, it was really, it, there was some impressive play. I think there's some things to look forward to, but I'm also, I know what it is. Um, to, I'm not trying to give any Nebraska fans a lot of hope here either. I'm not trying to not give you hope. I'm just saying that it's been rough for the last seven years, seven, eight years. Um, so let's pump the brakes. Let's take the wins where we can. Um, you got some good, good things moving forward. I think on the defensive side of the ball, I am very nervous about your offensive coordinator. Um, but you got this, you know, five-star coming in Dylan Riola. Um, and hopefully he'll be able to work with that and, um, make some things happen. Uh, but as far, but it's again, to also be fair, it's first year head coach at a new, new program. I got to give credit to Matt rule. I think the guy uh, did fairly well for that, and especially in a place like Lincoln, where there's obviously a ton of pressure. So, I got to give him a solid C. You know, I think he did okay. I, I really do, and I don't think uh, Husker fans should be hitting the panic button at all. I think they they definitely need to give this guy more of a chance. Yeah, and I think the fact that he's bringing in a five star quarterback makes a big difference too. That gives you a whole different perspective as a fan base when you think you've got your franchise quarterback to build around for the next three, four years. Um, that gives you a lot of confidence, probably, if you're a Nebraska fan. Yeah, I gave Rule a C. I think he gets credit for three conference wins in year one, but he still fell well below expectations, missing a bowl game. Yeah. So it's a C. I can't give him better than that. He's got too many resources at Nebraska to miss a bowl game in year one. Um, that said, we saw a real improvement. And I think Nebraska, you know, if Rayola is anything, you know, if he's even any kind of upgrade at quarterback, Nebraska will become a much tougher out uh, going forward. Absolutely. All right. Moving on. We have the Minnesota Golden Gophers head coach PJ Fleck. Minnesota finished six and seven, three and six in conference. Uh, the Gophers won their first game in thrilling fashion, beating Nebraska 13-10 in a walk-off Dragon Kesich field goal. However, they, became... they Minnesota did start off on the right foot, I would have to say. Yes. <laughs> yes, they did. Although it was the left foot for Dragon, I believe. The, uh, yes, 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 yes. That's right. Yes, That's right. but the right left, the right left foot. Yes. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so however, it became clear in that game that Ethan Kaliak Manis was not nearly accurate enough to warrant throwing the ball 44 times as they did against Nebraska. So PJ Fleck realized, oh boy, we tried to build this whole offense around a quarterback who's now not accurate enough to build an offense around. So he had that in, to deal with after week one. And then Minnesota changed their offensive approach, went back to pounding the ball in subsequent wins over Eastern Michigan, Louisiana. However, the inaccuracy doomed them in a bad loss to North Carolina and defensive breakdowns in a come from ahead loss to Northwestern. Um, in a game, they were up three touchdowns well into the fourth quarter and still somehow inexplicably managed to lose. 
Just a total late game, let off the gas implosion, which became the hallmark of Minnesota this season in a lot of ways. Um, they get crushed by Michigan. Then they looked good in a 12-10 win over Iowa that wasn't as close as the score indicated. Minnesota had four field goals, but tried five. They should have had multiple touchdowns and won that game pretty easily. And then they bludgeoned Sparty running all over them. And just when it seemed like the season was back on track, they collapsed late again against Illinois and lose by one in a game they should have won by two scores. They then get run off the field by Purdue in a truly bizarre game that I don't even know what to say about the defense Minnesota played in that game. It was like the whole team took the day off. And then they got crushed by Ohio State before bad QB play and inconsistency once again doomed them against Wisconsin to end the year. Uh, Minnesota did sneak into a bowl game due to academics, and they looked really good beating Bowling Green. So there is that, at least. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on P.J. Flex performance this season? Uh, infuriating. Um, <laughs> I, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways I could put this. Um, you know, I, I got to Minnesota was hit by the injury bug in a big way. Really hard. And so it's tough. It's it's really hard. And, you know, Minnesota by no means was the only program to to suffer from this. But it's, no, it's Iowa hard. had it pretty bad too, considering yeah. all things considered. And they still were able to win, uh, yep. win the division. So, um, and that's what's so frustrating. I think, like you see that you so there is you got to look at it in that way. That yes, there there was a ton of injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which is what PJ has always been able to rely on um, with Joe Rossi and and our defense being being able to pull us out of games and and win for us, but. It just wasn't that way this year. Uh, I think it, we, we were too thin. Um, and then obviously at running back, when we realized that uh, Ethan was not going to be the answer, um, you know, we were just, it, it just continued to, the hits just kept coming. And the injuries at corner were tough too. Yes, yes. So when you don't have your elite defensive unit, which has been more or less elite for the last number of years, um, it's hard. It's hard to win games, man. You know, like that's kind of your identity is you lean on your defense and you lean on a solid running game. And when you can't do either of those things, well, yeah, you're, you're not going to, it's not going to go too well for you. So I'm giving PJ, sorry, I got to say one more thing. His, if we're talking about James Franklin and having issues play calling during the, during the game, PJ is also another one who frustrates me so much. Sometimes. Oh, PJ makes terrible in-game decisions on a regular basis. Yes. So I'm giving PJ Fleck this season a C minus. I, there was, it should have, we, there's no reason Minnesota shouldn't have won two more games and gone seven and five at the very least. And the reason I think that that Minnesota did not go seven and five was mostly due to PJ's um, ineptitude at play calling. Yeah, the the getting conservative. I look, I sympathize with them a little bit because when your quarterback is so inconsistent, like I remember there were two, there were two passes to win games. He had a five yard throw in the Illinois game, sailed it over the guy's head. And then he had like a five yard hitch route again, the Wisconsin game sailed it over his head both times. And that, that one was fourth down. I think the Wisconsin one where yeah. he sailed it over his head was fourth, was fourth down. Um, it's hard to call plays when your quarterback is that inaccurate. Mm -hmm. It's hard to call plays for him to succeed 
when he's missing these wide open, easy rhythm throws, you know, that makes it tough. But also who went all in on Ethan Kaliak Manis? Yeah. PJ didn't recruit another quarterback for an entire cycle to show Ethan that Ethan was his guy because he thought Ethan was going to be, you know, an NFL draft pick. And it just has turned out that he's just not that. So I give, you know, I put Ethan's failures on PJ entirely. And I give PJ Fleck a D for the season. Because I think this team was good enough to win the division, talent-wise. Um, but yeah. but they weren't able to adjust schematically in some games. They were just weren't able. They weren't consistent enough. Is really what it comes down to. Well, and and the defense especially was not consistent enough. And I felt like at times they were trying to play games to force turnovers, trying mm-hmm. to play games with the opposition when they should have just been playing defense. Well, and the other thing too is PJ's loyalty to a fault. And when he wouldn't put in Darius Taylor and he kept putting out Sean Tyler and he kept putting out these, the, he'd keep coming back every, uh, well, Sean Tyler pretty quick. He did. But like I, the fact that I think Darius didn't get played earlier and con- more consistent or Zach, like Zach Evans, like where was he, you know, I know there was injuries there, but I think there were definitely times that he just chose not to go that route because he wanted to stick with his older his older players, and and that then his loyalty came into play. Which I commend him, but also to a point, I'm like, dude, you know, like go with what's working. And clearly, that wasn't to me. That's just me. That's what I yeah. saw sometimes. I mean, it was really only the first game that Darius Taylor didn't get carries. After that, they rode him pretty hard. Yeah, I will say I agree with you about Evans, though. Evans, I thought should have seen more chances. But PJ has shown, man, he and I think this helps the team a lot sometimes. I think it hurts the teat sometimes. He is going to go with the guys he trusts. And if you have not earned his trust, you are not getting on the field no matter how talented you are. So, I mean, it forces guys to show up and go to practice and like know what they're doing. And I think that is important. It's it's a fine line, right? It's a fine line between how much do you have to hold accountability and how much do you have to just play your best players? Because that's your best chance to win. Well, and you saw, but what was so frustrating is you saw him finally put Evans out there against Michigan and, and he was able to move the ball. Yeah. So why didn't you put, where was he until that point? Why does it have to get so bad that to the point where like it's a, it's desperate? And that's what bothers me with, with PJ is, is I don't, I hate that he has to be pushed so far to then start making some changes. Well, he went all in on getting a couple really solid running backs in the transfer portal. So I think that that shows that he doesn't want to ride Darius quite so hard next year. Maybe he understands that the reason Darius didn't play most of the year is because he rode him into the ground. Yep. And maybe maybe 20 to 25 carries is better than 35 plus carries for a guy every week. Yeah, not not everyone is Mo Ibrahim who can handle that kind of a load. And even he eventually wore down. So. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Moving right along. We've got the uh, Wisconsin Badgers. They went seven and six, five and four in the Big Ten. Um, They beat Buffalo 38-17. Lost a tough one to Washington State in Pullman, which was a surprising loss to Cam Ward and, uh, and the Cougars. 
Um, they beat George, Georgia Southern pretty badly. They beat Purdue pretty badly. They beat Rutgers 24, 13 lost to Iowa six, 15 to six in a game where the offense just disappeared entirely. Um, beat Illinois in a really close game, lost to Ohio state in a game where they played fairly well defensively, but just didn't do enough to keep it close. And then lost to Indiana in a heartbreaker, 20 to 14 in a game that they really needed. Um, if they were going to make a run at the division, then lost to Northwestern 24 to 10. So they went on a, on a, on a losing streak late in the season before, uh, turning around beating Wisconsin or beating Nebraska 24, 17, and then beating Wisconsin or beating Minnesota 28 to 14 to end the season. And then of course they lose the bowl game 35, 31 to LSU. Uh, so John, this was the first year of the Luke fickle era what did you think about it and uh how would you grade his performance i thought it was fine um you know i think luke fickle is a solid coach uh i know that he's taking over at a program that he wants to change the style of play pretty drastically Mm -hmm. um and so a lot of his personnel was left over from the paul christ era which is very different from what he wanted to do but he had some very good weapons there. He had Braylon Allen. I think Tanner Mordecai, um, when he wasn't hurt, um, was pretty solid with his legs. And he had he had moments where he was really accurate through the air, um, but inconsistent. Uh, and defensively, you know, I'd say overall they were pretty solid. I think they had some issues at linebacker here and there. But overall, I think they were pretty good. Hunter Wollers made up for a lot of issues. Yes, Hunter Waller pretty much made up for everybody. Any any mistake out there was it was you know he 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 showed up. He was all over the place. He was incredible. Yeah, but you know, again, uh, and this isn't their fault. I'm not. This isn't even Luke Fickle, but this is just it was another year of the preseason top twenty hype, and Luke Fickle is going to just dominate um, immediately. And the expectation from a lot of people was that he was that Wisconsin was going to come back. Um, in force and win the division and they didn't and they fell short and it wasn't just like by a little bit like it was it was not convincing that they were going to win at, at any point in time in my opinion um <clears throat> so there was a lot of inconsistencies through there uh again like i said though to be fair it's they're implementing a whole new system um on both sides of the ball so it's going to take some time. It just wasn't the overnight success that a lot of people believed it was and that I was being told constantly in the off season. So um, I think though, moving forward, fickle is going to do great things. I think he's a great coach. They're obviously loading up uh, in the transfer portal. Um, I think that they're going to, their defense is going to be even better. Um, But as far as last year, I got to give Luke fickle a C plus. Yeah, I give him a C. I mean, Wisconsin had a pretty good roster last year. They were set up to succeed. He brought in some nice guys with him in the transfer portal. Will Pauling was a pretty nice piece at wide receiver. Um, Bryson Green was okay. They they had a very favorable schedule. And, you know, they couldn't make a run at the division in any meaningful way. So they did okay. You know, they end up with a winning record just barely. Um, but I think based on what was expected... And based on the hype around Luke Fickle and just his previous success as a coach at Cincinnati, you know, I think expectations were really high. You and I both thought that this would be a, a process. Yeah, we and said the, at the beginning. Yep. Yeah. 
And we, we both predicted that this season would not be, you know, I don't know if either one of us thought it would only be seven and six, but I think we thought it was going to be seven and six, eight and five, something like that. That was my prediction. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it ended up. You know, Wisconsin was not ready to compete for the division. So the question is, you know, will Wisconsin, will Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback now that he's coming in, is he going to be show the flashes and build on the promise from his freshman year? Or is he going to be the guy from the last couple years who just, you know, wasn't as good. Um, So that'll be really interesting to see. And I think, I think really Tyler Van Dyke and how good he is, is going to be a big determinant in how Wisconsin does next season. I'm really fascinated because he's a quarterback that I think could go really go either way. But yeah, for this season at seven and six, I give Luke Fickle a C. I just think with the roster he had, he probably should have won another game or two. Yeah, agreed. Awesome. All right. Moving on, we have the Northwestern Wildcats went eight and five, five and four in conference, a winning conference record. Amazing. Um, They lost that opening game to Rutgers. It looked like it was going to be a really long season. It did. I was worried about them. They beat UTEP, then they lose to Duke badly. And you think everything's looking bad up until late in the fourth quarter of what looked like a three touchdown loss to Minnesota. And then all of a sudden, the go- here come the, the Cats passing game. And they start throwing dimes. The Minnesota secondary decided to go to sleep, and they win that game. Um, lose to Penn State. Beat Howard in a very close game that they probably should have lost, which was a strange game. Lose, lost to Nebraska in a really low-scoring game where the offense didn't show up. Then they managed to beat Maryland, lose a heartbreaker to Iowa. They beat Wisconsin convincingly, uh, beat Purdue, and then beat rival Illinois 45-43. And then, perhaps most impressively of all, they managed to win the bowl game, beating Utah 14-7 in a game that they were a heavy underdog. John David Braun was named Big Ten Coach of the Year for this performance that no one expected from a guy who was an interim coach. No one thought he was going to come in and make a bowl game. No one thought he was going to win Big Ten Coach of the Year. No one thought he was going to last more than one year in Evanston. And yet here he is now. He has made himself the head coach of a Big Ten program. And what more can you say about what the Cats did last year? I don't I don't know. I mean... Uh, this is the, I think this is the only other A plus I got because yep. this guy deserves it, and mm-hmm. he, he took a dumpster fire situation and you're supposed to go two and ten. Yes, you're supposed to go two and ten. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't even know what to say. Like I couldn't believe my eyes every single week. Like it, that that you just saw them continuing to improve even in their losses. You saw it happening, and I was like, uh, and before you know it, they won eight. They won eight games, and they're beating teams that they had no business prior, at least to our perception at the, in the preseason, business beating. And they, I did. mean, I mean, some of those games they are getting crushed even for most of the game, and then they kind of flip a switch, and all of a sudden they were competitive. It was bizarre. Yeah. It's incredible, and that just shows how good of a coach David Braun is. And oh yeah. Northwest again, I think like I think we said this at the beginning at some point during the season. I guess Fitzy just like left back, left that magic bean and just handed it right on over to David Braun because Northwestern still has that magic, man. I don't know what's going on in Evanston, but it's there's some voodoo going on there, man. It's crazy. 
yeah, it's yeah, it's an A plus. It's it's I. The only question is, what can he do for an encore? Yeah. You know, like that's the only question he's left us is he's we're an audience. He's left us wanting more. So you got to give him credit. David Braun, Big Ten Coach of the Year, A plus indeed. All right. And the last of the old Big Ten teams before we talk about some of the new Big Ten teams, we have the Iowa Hawkeyes. They went 10 and four, seven and two in conference. Um, they beat Utah State to start the year, but they didn't beat them by that much. And remember, this was all the talk. Brian Ferentz was supposed to have his contract where he had to score 25 points a game to keep his job. And it became clear pretty early that wasn't going to happen. They beat Iowa State 20 to 13. Western Michigan, they did win 41 to 10, but then they lose 31 0 at Penn State. Um, they beat Michigan State 26 16 in the Cooper DeGene game where he had the interception and the punt return to seal it for them. Um, they managed to beat, win a tough one against Purdue and one that looked like they might have lost for homecoming. Then they beat Wisconsin 15-6 to in a game where they pulled the magic trick of making Wisconsin's dof- offense entirely disappear. Um, and then they lost to Minnesota 12-10 to in a tough game for the Hawkeyes in which the Gophers just came out and kind of were were clicking on a lot of cylinders and uh, and Iowa just wasn't. Minnesota was ready for that one. And then against Northwestern, they pulled out a 10-7 win. They beat Rutgers 22 to nothing. They managed a 15-13 win over Illinois, a 13-10 win over Nebraska. They got crushed by Michigan 26-0 in the Big Ten title game. And then in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, 35-0 lost to Tennessee. So there were some, John, there were some high highs in this season and some low lows. It was a wild 10-4 year. Yeah, it was, you know, but I still got to give credit to Kirk Ferentz, man. I, you know, oh, absolutely. How, you like you how do you still win the West with that offense? And, you know, mm-hmm. and like and also your your son getting fired halfway through the season. Well, essentially, I mean, he was still he, he finished out the season, but he was told, you know, that was it. And so that's a distraction. That's a huge distraction. He's huge told he's distraction. not around anymore. And then you lose your starting quarterback. You lose your top two receiving targets at tight end. You don't really have any wide receivers. Mm-hmm. I mean, to overcome all that and win 10 games is borderline miraculous. It's amazing. So Kirk Ferentz gets a solid A, um, you yes. know. I again, I don't know what kind of magic that guy, that old man has, but it's incredible. And and so he, yeah, man. I mean, they they really toughed it out. They were able to continue to show up defensively and through special teams and pull out these wins. That I don't know anyone, if anybody, any other team could really do that and make that happen. You know, I I kept waiting for them to fall flat on their face and that offense to really, you know, uh, cause them to totally fall off especially after those uh uh all those injuries but they were still able to just get just enough done to get to that 10 win mark yeah i gave it an a minus just because the offense was so abysmal like i couldn't give a straight a when one aspect of the game was such a struggle um and i just felt like yeah i just felt like that was that was what I had to do to be honest about the Hawkeyes, but I'm still really impressed with what they've done. Uh, 10 wins is 10 wins. There's no arguing against that. Um, so yeah, Kirk Ferentz gets an a minus and only because the offense was so rough. Fair enough. All right. 
Should we talk about quickly about some of these uh, West Coast teams? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, folks, we did. I'll be honest. You know, we are covering the Big Ten. So from now on out, all the West Coast teams are Big Ten teams to us. We'll be covering them in depth. But this past season during the year, since they were in the pack, we just didn't cover them as closely. So we're not going to be able to go in quite as in depth now. Um, but we can talk about them for sure. Should we start with UCLA? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So they went eight and five, four and five in the conference. Um, they had losses to Utah, which hurt um, Oregon State. Arizona, Arizona State, and Cal, but they managed to beat their rival USC, so that was a big win. And they beat Colorado, beat Stanford pretty badly, um, beat Washington State, won their non-conference games. So it was uh, it was an up and down year for the Bruins and Chip Kelly, head coach Chip Kelly, uh, but they did manage to win their rivalry game, which I think is a big deal, you know. I will say only going four and five in conference is not great, great. Um, And they lost Dante Moore in the transfer portal after the season ended. And he was supposed to be the future at quarterback. So that's a little disappointing. So, John, how would you grade um, Chip Kelly's performance this year? Well, I think at this point in time, with how long he's been at UCLA, I I think that I was expecting a little bit better. Um, eight and five though, this season in a really tough pack pack 12, uh, is pretty darn good, but you know, losing your, your, your top quarterback, I think, and having this just kind of still seem, even though it was eight wins, it still seems more or less like just a mediocre season. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of just been the story with Chip Kelly throughout at UCLA. Again, I'm not as, uh, knowledgeable, um, uh, as I as I want to be, um, and I will be, um, but I feel like it's just kind of been more or less meh at at uh, there in UCLA. Yeah, it's you know Chip Kelly. I think is a really good X's nose coach. I think that's been proven. There's a reason why he had success in the NFL, all that kind of stuff. As far as like the program building and the recruiting aspect, I'm not sure how great he is at like building and sustaining a roster. Yeah. And, you know, part of the, the reason he had so much success at Oregon is because at that point, his offense was so far ahead of the curve. And also Oregon, with its kind of money and Nike stuff, was kind of recruiting itself a little bit. Yeah. So he didn't have to be the dominant recruiter at, at and program builder at Oregon that you kind of have to be at a UCLA. So I always thought Chip Kelly kind of, I think, would almost do better at more of a top job where he can kind of outsource the recruiting and he can, you know, and he can be the face of the program and, and, you know, close the deal and and be the X's nose guru on game day. Um, But it's interesting. And have you heard some of the rumors about Chip Kelly this off season, John? Is there NFL rumors? There are rumors that Chip Kelly might take an NFL offensive coordinator job. Huh? So that's been going around in the ether. That would be strange to me. I can't imagine giving up, control your own program to be an offensive coordinator but i do also think with the way with the transfer portal and the insanity of college football there are coaches in college like jim harbaugh who are trying to get to the nfl and not have and not have to deal with the insanity of college football the 24 7 insanity of college football anymore yeah 
So, so yeah, um, I would say for Chip Kelly, I'd give him like a B minus. I had the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it'll just be interesting to see, um, how that progresses going into the new, you know, into the new conference. All right. Let's talk about USC, which finished, um, USC finished, let's see, seven and five. It looks like, or am I wrong about this? Or did they, they win? Eight and five, I think, is what they finished. Eight and five is what they finished. All right. I had it did not come up right on mine. So they finished eight and five, same as as UCLA. Um, but they lost to UCLA head to head. And they lost a lot of their big games. And they kind of wasted a Heisman trophy level season from Caleb Williams. Yep. So that's that's rough if you're Lincoln Riley. You had Caleb Williams for two years and you never you didn't win a Pac-12 title. And to go seven and five with a guy who is playing at a Heisman Trophy level uh, caliber at quarterback, that that really makes me worry about Lincoln Riley and where things are headed. I agree, man. I think that... Because uh, um, USC, the way they recruit, they should win a lot more than that. They recruit at an elite level. No, I totally agree, dude. And I think that looking at them, obviously we've talked about their defense being an issue. But offensively, it just it took kind of a little bit of a nosedive, like you said, with like a having a um uh Heisman level quarterback. I mean, I don't know. It just it seems very problematic. He it felt like Caleb Williams thought he had to do everything and score every play because the defense was so bad. Yeah. I mean, these defensive numbers, John, like they gave up 41 to Colorado, 41 to Arizona, 48 to Notre Dame, 34 to Utah, 49 to Cal, 52 to Washington, 36 to Oregon, 38 to UCLA. It's a lot of points. Yeah. It's a lot of points to give up. And part of it is, you know, Lincoln Riley fired his defensive coordinator, finally Alex Grinch, but most people thought he should have hired he should have fired Alex Grinch last season. Yep. And he gave him a whole nother year. So that's not that just makes you wonder about his judgment. And then also Lincoln Riley's really never had a great defense. And I wonder that's the question about with these air raid teams where it's like touch football when they're practicing. A lot of the air raid teams just don't tackle well ever. And I wonder if Lincoln Riley at a certain point has to run the ball a little more. So his players tackle a little better because if I just think if you don't practice tackling a lot, you're going to be a bad tackling team. And it doesn't seem like, you know, based on the reports you hear about USC practices, it doesn't seem like they spend a lot of time working on tackling. No, dude, I'm with you. I totally agree. And I think that that's going to be a huge problem when they come into the big 10, um, defense is going to have to be a huge emphasis. And I know there were a number of fans in the off season that we're talking about, uh, USC fans, I should say that, uh, essentially we're kind of sloughing that off. And I, I hope that they have seen, uh, the error of their ways because this is to be in the big 10, you better have a good defense and you better have line of scrimmage play period. Oh yeah. I absolutely agree with that. And that's, 
that could be a rude awakening for you know USC when they play. You know they think that they're going to just show up and out talent some of these Big Ten schools. But if you can't make tackles and you can't play on the line of scrimmage, you're going to be in close games in the fourth quarter with teams that you out recruit. You are. Yep. And so that's the, I mean, I think, man, next year is a pivotal year in the Lincoln Riley era at USC. They gave him a giant contract. They're expecting titles. Yep. He hasn't been close. Hasn't been close. So I think, and now he's coming into a much tougher conference overall. And I just think Lincoln Riley, we're going to find out a lot about whether he can adjust as a coach next season because he's, he's hired a better defensive staff now. So the results should be better, but will they be better? Yeah. Well, I gave him a C plus. So I, I mean, I still think he, you know, winning eight games. Uh, I still think he has the offensive mind and he can obviously recruit. Um, but like I said, you know, well, I guess C plus was the wrong thing. <laughs> like I'm going back on that now because he I'm giving him an F. Yeah. I I'm guess giving like, him an F. Yeah, I, you know, Caleb Williams. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I probably still would give him at least a D. I think like he, I, I don't know, man. I I guess like, I still, I still whatever you want to give. I'm just saying, I know. No, 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 no. I think you're right. And I'm not trying to just like backtrack backpedal now for, for the, because of what you said. I just like, I, I just still think Lincoln Riley has some tricks up his sleeve. Yeah. Um, But we're going to have to see obviously if he makes the right, uh, you know, corrections here over the off season. I mean, I've been encouraged with his defensive hires, but he has to change the way he structures practice. If he's going to become a better tackling team and we won't find out until next year, you know, whether he's been willing to do that or not. I just don't think. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. We have the Oregon ducks. The Oregon ducks went 12 and two overall eight and one in conference. A uh, fantastic year for Oregon. They broke scoreboards all over the Pac-12. Bo Nix was a Heisman finalist. Um, crushed Colorado. Crushed Stanford. You know, beat Wazoo. Crushed Utah. Crushed Cal. Beat USC. Crushed ASU. Crushed a good Oregon State team. And the one thing they couldn't do, and they couldn't do it twice, was beat Washington and Michael Penix. And that's all they didn't do. That's the only thing they didn't use. It was enough to deny them, the, you know, to stop them from winning that Pac-12 title that they couldn't beat Washington even one out of two. And it kept them out of the playoff. Um, but, you know, they won the bowl game against Liberty, looked really good doing it. And for Dan Lanning, you know, a guy who's fairly early in his tenure, who's a young head coach, you know, I, I was really impressed, John. What did you think of the job Dan Lanning did this year at Oregon? Same. I, I'm very impressed. I gave him an A, uh, you know, not getting past Washington, um, twice. I think I'm not going to hold that against them. Uh, Washington was exceptional. Michael Penix is, should have, in my opinion, won the Heisman trophy. Agreed. Um, so it's, that's tough, but I do think Dan Lanning is building something really special in Eugene. I think that they are going to be very competitive right off the bat in the Big Ten. Um, and I'm really excited to see them come in and see how they uh, they match up. Yeah, I mean, Oregon is a team, I think, that they are, they are the Pac-12 team that is best situated to enter the Big Ten. And I think that's because of coaching stability, for one. 
But also, I think it's because they have good line of scrimmage play. They recruit well up front, and they play strong up front. And that's how you win games in the Big Ten. So I think Oregon is going to walk in right away and be in that, you know, Ohio State, Michigan tier. Even even a little better than Penn State, I think. Oregon starts out in that tier way up there. So they're way up towards the top of the conference and have a real chance to make the college football playoff, I think. Um, I gave Dan Lanning also, and also I gave him an A, you know, I think for a coach as young as him to do that well. And I mean, all they did was lose to the best Washington team in 30 years. You know, sometimes you got to tip your hat and say the other team was a little better. Um, And that's what they were able to do. So I, I, I think Oregon is the best situated team in the Pac-12 to make a run at a Big Ten title next year. And it's going to sound weird. It's going to sound weird when we talk about Oregon in the Big Ten title race. But, John, I think we're going to have to get used to it. I agree. All right. Finally, and our last team, we have the Washington Huskies, who went 14-1, and 9-0 and Pac-12 t- champions. So... You can't talk enough about what Michael Penix and Kalen DeBoer um, accomplished at Washington this year. I mean, they absolutely torched their competition. I mean, here's the amount of points Washington scored in some of their games against Boise, 56, 41 against Sparty, 59 against Cal, 36 against Oregon, 42 against Stanford, 52 against USC, 35 against Utah, um, 34 against Oregon in the rematch. 37 against Texas. And then of course they got blown out by Michigan, but that Michigan team is a historically great team. That's going to probably break the record for most draft picks in a season. So I don't think there's any shame in losing the national title to Michigan. And I think, you know, I have a lot of praise for the PAC 12 champion Washington Huskies. Same. I feel the exact same way. Uh, You know, a plus for Kalen DeBoer. Um, he deserves the credit. The man did a lot with a lot less than, than Michigan and Alabama and all of those other, Mm -hmm. uh, Texas. He did not have the same, he did not have the same kind of recruiting classes, any of those schools. And he still beat Texas in the playoff. Yep. So a plus fantastic coach. Um, and I'm very interested to see what he's going to do with Alabama, uh, and Washington man, you know, I guess just be grateful you had him. You know, I, we'll see yeah. what happens here in the future with Jed Fish, but um, you definitely had a great run with Kalen DeBoer at head coach. Absolutely, I give him an A plus as well. I think that's the only grade you can give to take. It's it's the it's the closest to a true Cinderella story we've had in college football in a really long time. Yeah, to get that to be that team that gets that close to a national title, and you could say TCU, but TCU got steamrolled in a yeah. way, in a way that was, I mean. Uh, Washington got blown out too, but that was a game for about a half, right? Against yep. Michigan. It was a game into the second half, at least a little bit. Yeah. Um. So I give them a lot of credit. I have no idea what the Jedfish era is going to bring uh, for Washington. I think it's hard, even, even with Kalen DeBoer, I think it was going to be harder for Washington than for Oregon to adjust to the big 10, just because there's such a wide open style and playing against that tougher line of scrimmage play is an adjustment every week. It just is. Um, but I, you know, I think, I think Washington is a really good program. I think they're set up for, they have good support. Um, in a lot of ways, Washington is sort of, you know, it is similar to like a Minnesota 
or an Ohio State, and then they're in their programs in or or a USC. These are programs in major cities. And I think, you know, when in a major city, college football kind of isn't always the focus of everything because there's the pro sports. So to carve out a niche like Washington has in college football, I think is really impressive. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how how that progresses as they enter the Big Ten. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's exciting. New matchups coming up. And uh, yeah, should be should be fun, man. Awesome. All right, John, is there anything you want to say to the listeners before we get out of here as we near the two hour mark of this podcast? Wow. Monster (laughs) podcast. Yeah, as always. Yeah. If you want to find We Live for Saturday, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Podcast Addict. You can find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. You can find Mike at Alibaba26 and you can find me, John, at Norwegian Gopher. You can also email us at we live for Saturday b1g at gmail.com. Awesome. And uh, we are still looking for contributors to help us. We have uh, some, we had contributors for a, about half the Big Ten teams at this point, but we're looking for more to fill it out. We want you to help us go in depth on your team so we can provide you the best coverage possible. So please, if you want to help us out as, as being an expert fan of your team, uh, reach out to us and we look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. All right, John, ready to get out of here? Let's do it. This is a good one. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. If you made it this long into a podcast, God bless you. This has been a big one, but we appreciate it. We will be back soon with more uh, breaking news in college football. And also we'll start doing our season reviews for teams. Thanks a lot, everyone. Have a good night. All right. Take it easy, everybody. 